Welcome to the Best Movie Ever podcast. My name's Joel. My name's Sarah. And today we are going to be comparing two titans of Vietnam, American cinema, Platoon, 1986's Platoon versus The Deer Hunter. You shouldn't shake. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> and and 19... 19- 78's Deer Hunter. Is that right? I don't know if you that's what you said before, but we're just going to go with it. This week, we watched Platoon and the Deer Hunter. One of them came in, out in the 80s. One of them came out in the 70s. You'll find out which in just a moment. But this week, we watched two uh, movies about the Vietnam War. Not specifically just about the Vietnam War, but they, they did take place there. Uh, a great deal of the Deer Hunter takes place in the war. And also, after and before. Uh, And Platoon takes place, I'd say, 100% in the thick of it. Yes. Uh, It is Oliver Stone's Platoon. And and you mentioned uh, that he has a a sort of a history with uh, the Vietnam War. Well, that's what was... I I found it so interesting, and I was sort of excited to see Platoon because I had never seen it. And I found out that Oliver Stone was the first... Uh, veteran of Viet- the Vietnam War to actually make a movie about the Vietnam War. So I, I thought that was going to be an interesting angle to see the movie. Yeah. Um, I-, I know Oliver Stone as being a very um, contentious filmmaker. Uh, his movies are, uh, there's no gray area in his films. They're very black and white. He has an opinion and his movie states it very strongly. And this movie is no exception Uh War bad, war make men bad, good men be bad when war happen. It was very eloquently eloquently put. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, it also has a, kind of an all-star cast. It stars Willem Dafoe. It's just like the nice, he's the nice sergeant. It has Tom Berenger, who I'd never seen in anything before, or at least I don't remember seeing him. As, uh, as sort of the antagonist staff sergeant. Charlie Sheen plays the lead in this film, which I uh, I was humored by. Uh, I had I have seen Charlie Sheen in Major League, where he plays a pitcher, and uh, and I, a baseball pitcher, and, and then I, not a, a pitcher of water or other liquid. Um, if form you were, of. It, form of a pitcher. Uh, and then it also... Um, I, I really like uh, Charlie Sheen in the Hot Shots series and the Hot Shots Pot. Oh, God. Hot Shots Pot. Dot. Hot Shots. Hot Shots. Hot Shots uh, franchise. Hot Shots Part 2, uh, which is sort of like a a take on the... Uh, Paul Blart Hot Shots. <laughs> Paul Blart Hot Shots. Uh, Charlie Sheen in is Paul Blart Hot Shots. It also stars uh, Johnny Depp as a very small role. Yeah, I I almost didn't notice him until about halfway through the film. I didn't realize it yeah. was him. And he he plays a he plays a good guy. Actually, like I saw him in the, like the one major scene he's in where he has a, a bit of lines. Uh, I really dug his character a lot, and uh, he plays sort of like a um, uh, what's the word? He 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 translates. Um, he's a translator. 
He's a tra- he's he translates. What's the word for the person who translates <laughs> one person's words into another? A translator. Translator. That's the one I'm thinking of. He's the he's the translate man. Uh, it also has Forrest Whitaker in it, uh, and it's got white scrubs in it. It's got um, <laughs> old white scrubs. John C. McGinley, mm-hmm. um, which I was very happy to see. I was like, ooh, Scrubs is in this He's kind one. of a, a, gr- a gray area character. Yes. In the film. And he, he actually has, uh, I know it's supposed to be like a, oh, fuck moment at the end, but I did find it very comical, and we'll get there in, in a few. But he, he has a moment at the end of the film, which I, I found very, very comical. It's just like, oh, fuck, here <laughs> we go again. Uh, it also has Keith David. Um, who's the very creepy guy at, in at the end of um, oh god, what's that? The um, the movie, the drug movie that that everyone has daymares after they watch. Uh, it's got one of the Wayans brothers in it. I have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, Linklater. Do you know what I'm talking? Keith David. Boyhood. <laughs> Boyhood. Yes, Keith David is. Boyhood. <laughs> oh, he was in the Frog Prince. That's nice. Uh, no, he's in um, God Requiem for a Dream. That's what I'm thinking of. He plays like the the really creepy guy at the end of Requiem for a Dream. If I you... haven't seen that, so I, right, I well. have no point of reference for right, it. Well, okay, all right. Kevin Dillon is in a very small role in the very beginning of the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have Tony Todd, Candyman himself. Uh, who I, I've seen in a couple things, but most notably he plays Candyman, uh, and a bunch of other people. But those are those are you know they're irrelevant. Um, so it has an all star cast, and Charlie Sheen is the lead. What did you think about Charlie Sheen's performance in Platoon? I thought it was fine. Uh, I wasn't particularly impressed with his performance, but as far as roles that I've seen Charlie Sheen in. Um, the only other reference for Charlie Sheen that I have, especially during that time period, was his very small role in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And I don't remember him in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, but um, but he's in it, you say? Yeah, he uh, he's some sort of hoodlum at the police station that Ferris's sister sort of falls in love with. That checks out. Uh, he sort of seems to me like a Christian Slater type. Yeah, that's that's kind of yeah, that's exactly the kind of character that he is in that movie. Yeah, and I think that's sort of the the role he plays in life too. He's he's sort of a yeah, he's just sort of a schmuck, I guess. Sorry, Christian Slater. I th- I'm <laughs> sure you're a nice person. Well, I will say, in contrast to that kind of role, he's de- he definitely doesn't play that character in Platoon. He's sort of a, a good, honest Christian boy who's. Who was gonna go to college and all this stuff, and then he was like, "No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna serve my country." Yeah, he is the the character who chooses to be there. He he wasn't like in uh, drafted. Uh, he wasn't forced to be there by any any stretch of the imagination, and he he says that to um, to numerous people throughout the film, like, "Hey, I you know I wanted to be here. I wanted to serve my country," and uh, and he is the 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 voice that we see, well, we hear for the majority of the film. He's the narrator of it, which I, I always sort of hate uh, in movies. I, I hate when there's a, a narrator going through it. And we just saw Ad Astra uh, the other night. And, oh, boy, do you hear Brad Pitt talk over images of Brad Pitt looking at things. Uh, and, and in this movie, you hear Charlie Sheen talk over Charlie Sheen looking at things. And I, I just think it's it's a weird, like show don't tell thing in movies that 
that that is a very cheap storytelling device. And I did find it incredibly cheap in this movie as well. Well, I, and I, I always feel that way as well. Granted, I think I didn't mind it as much as I minded it in Ad Astra. Um, Ad Astra. Because I think that at the very least in Platoon, it's sort of a, a way of doing uh, like a, a I, oh, I don't know if I'm going to say this right. Oh, now I've just forgotten the word. Like re- letters written back and forth. Just just say something and commit to it. <laughs> epistolary? There novel? it is, folks. It's an epistolary novel. This one's... I want to... But basically... Charlie, I did find the movie very epistolary overall. <laughs> uh, I will say that. It, I, it, it does have that wrong. going for it. I could be thinking of the... Like, I know what the word means, but I can't remember what that word actually is. You said it. Um, but it's, it's a... He's basically writing letters to his grandmother throughout the entire film. So that's what the voiceover is. It's him writing letters to his family. And he's a, he's a good boy. And he, he shows up at the Vietnam War. And as he's walking uh, off the plane, uh, the first thing he sees is uh, a couple of, of people on stretchers getting carried out. And uh, I, I did think that was a pretty interesting way to start the film. That he's, he's chose to be there. And the first thing he sees is, well, God, there's a lot of there's a lot of people dying over here. He meets uh, Willem Dafoe uh, fairly recently after uh, fairly uh, fairly soon after arriving, and uh, and sort of teams up with the good guys who are just a bunch of stoners hanging out in a hut, smoking weed and being slightly homoerotic. Uh, and then there's sort of the just a little bit. Uh, Willem Dafoe has a, has a look, I think twice towards Charlie Sheen. And then once at the very end of the film towards the antagonist where he just sort of like smiles at him with that Willem Dafoe smile. Uh, it's, it's creepy and, and like fun. Uh, you don't see Willem Dafoe in very many like nice roles where he's just a nice guy. Uh, he's really good in the Florida project, which I recommend seeing, but this he's, he's 100% the good guy. Uh, Charlie Sheen starts as a good guy, and then very uh, soon into the film, they come across a uh, a village in the middle of um, sort of a, a clearing, and uh, and then things just get buck wild at that point. Yeah, so when they get to the village, a lot of controversial things happen pretty much all at once. Um, you see Charlie Sheen basically trying to get this this man who is one-legged to um, do what he says. But, of course, he's Vietnamese. He doesn't understand anything that Charlie Sheen is saying. And so Charlie Sheen gets... And he, so- doesn't, he doesn't have um, uh, the translate man there, the man, yeah. who, tra- the man who, who translate word. Yeah. So uh, Charlie Sheen gets so frustrated because this man won't listen to anything that he, that he says that he starts shooting at his foot. And the man basically has to hop, and he's screaming, dance, dance, uh, while he's doing this. And you're like, what the fuck? Because Charlie Sheen is the nice guy to this point. He hasn't done or exhibited any terrible uh, signs that he's a, a sociopath or a terrible person. He is he's the nice guy. And I, I should mention that this particular moment in the film is something that Oliver Stone specifically wrote in because he experienced that and did that while he was in Vietnam. To me, it felt really out of place in the moment, but still was a, uh, not a highlight of the, of the film, but it definitely stood out. It, it was, um, it was 
it was marked off in, in my memory as being like one of the 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 moments of the film where you're like, oh shit, this is really fucked up. Like I remembered that more than a lot of the other moments in this film, but it definitely didn't seem warranted by the character. And and I understand it might have happened to Oliver Stone. And he might have done it in real life, so that's why it made it into the script. But Charlie Sheen, I didn't feel uh, had changed at all to want to do that. And the movie didn't sort of set up a like a, a snap in his head in that moment. Yeah, it didn't it didn't read well. It was sort of out of left field. And then everything beyond that point becomes far worse and far have like more and more heavy handed. People get killed. Uh, there's a, a woman who gets dragged up uh, the hill and raped by a couple of the uh, by the Americans. And and Charlie Sheen tries to stop the rape. And he has just done this horrible thing to this one legged man just minutes prior. And he's just like, whoa, 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 whoa. You can't rape anybody. It's fine if I make this, you know, crippled man dance uh, sort of because I'm angry, I don't understand him, and I'm an asshole, but you can't rape anybody. And Willem Dafoe comes through and stops, uh, tries to stop most of the actions of, of the Americans, uh, but then meets with the, uh, the staff sergeant, played by Berenger, who is like, no, 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 these, these, are, uh, these people are bad. They're with the uh, resistance. Uh, we need to kill all of them. And Willem Dafoe's like, no, these are just normal people. These are farmers. They have, they have bags of of, uh, of wheat, and corn, and whatnot. You know, they, they're not carrying any weapons. And that sets off the drama for the rest of the film between Willem Dafoe, who witnesses this terrible atrocity led by the staff sergeant, and says, I'm going to turn you in. And all the men going like, yeah, fuck, fuck this guy. He's doing something terrible, and all these men did something terrible. And then the staff sergeant... Uh, played by Berenger, who's like, no, we're Americans. We're going to stick together. I didn't do anything wrong. So it sort of divides the group into the good guys and the bad guys. And the bad guys want to make sure that Defoe doesn't get out of there alive to say this shit about him. Yeah. And there are lots of other really heavy-handed things that happen in the film. All the separate characters are sort of archetypes of the kind of characters that you would, uh, the kind of people that you would meet um, as part of a large pr- platoon, I would assume. So there's like the slackers. There's the uh, the one guy who really just sort of injures himself to so that he can he can leave. I like that. I like that moment a lot too. When he's he like looks at himself and he's like, oh, I didn't get hurt. Fuck! And he just stabs himself with a knife just so he can go home. Yeah. Uh, and then there's like the sociopath who uh, at one point immediately following that scene with uh, Charlie Sheen and the one legged man. Um, takes the butt of his gun and beats the one-legged man to death in the head with the gun. And you're just sort of like, oh, well, uh, all the other characters around him are like, we're just going to pretend that this was done properly, that this wasn't a war war crime, just so that we can all move on as quickly as possible because we don't want to face what we've done here today. Uh, And uh, this movie, uh, it has a very narrow field of view. It's, it's only around this group of people going through uh, the jungles, and it, and it follows them pretty closely. It isn't... Charlie Sheen's the lead, but he's not, um, he's not the main focus. It's really an ensemble piece of all these men and how this is affecting all of them, uh, which I... Just looking at, like, say, the Rotten Tomatoes summary of the film or, like, Wikipedia, it seems like you're just going to be following Charlie Sheen's journey and, and everything that he's, he's going to be doing there. 
but it follows an ensemble, but it pretty much has just the one location, the jungles. It looks like it's, it, it was also a fairly cheap movie to make. I think, I think when I looked it up before, it was only a couple million dollars uh, to shoot it. I think it was like six million, yeah, and, and then it, it, it ended up making like a hundred and forty-seven or something. Yeah, so this this movie made a great deal, and we'll get into Deer Hunter in just a little bit. But Deer Hunter cost significantly more to make. It was like fifteen million to make, and it only made say forty million back. I think it was forty-nine. Yeah, forty-nine million. So Platoon, it, it was very cheap to make. It was probably filmed in just one small location. Uh, there's there's a couple sequences with explosions and helicopters. That was probably where they blew all their uh, their money on. And I, I, since I had never seen this movie before, but I am a big fan of Tropic Thunder, I witnessed, uh, I think, two moments where I was like, oh, that's what they got that from. Because I, I understand Tropic Thunder is a parody of war movies, but, um, but the moment when, spoilers, if you haven't seen this, but Willem Dafoe is getting chased out of the jungle and, uh, and he gets shot in his back, like gunned in his back, and his hands are up and he's just like, and then falls down. Uh, it, it happens to um, Ben Stiller in the beginning of Tropic Thunder, and I didn't know what that was from. Uh, I understood that it was probably a parody of something, but I didn't realize it was Platoon. So I got very giddy when I saw that moment. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, um, I also was very excited when um, I realized that Defoe's character was just like the ultimate badass. There's a moment towards the end when all the men are up on a ridge and they're um, uh, sort of like hiding out from from the uh, uh, the Vietnamese. And Defoe goes like, I'll stop him. And he just books it into the jungle and just takes out like must be 12, 15 guys by himself. Uh, Defoe is is like an ultimate badass in in this situation. And he still retains his moral integrity by the end of it. Uh, and I thought I thought he he was sort of like a. Uh, a highlight of the film for me. I really enjoyed every scene he was in, and uh, and I recommend seeing it, if only for his performance. I, I really dug it. I also wanted to mention uh, briefly in this film, there is a lot of racism against the Vietnamese people. Uh, the, the word gook is used very, very frequently. I hadn't heard uh, that word too much in my lifetime. Um, I wasn't offended by it, uh, but I, it has to be said that this movie does say the word gook a lot. A lot. Uh, the, the men, good or bad, have no uh, qualms about using it. And it, it is used so much that it sort of loses meaning after a while because you hear it, uh, you know, every, every so often. And, uh, and yeah, as a, as a person living in Los Angeles, you, you don't hear that, those sort of slurs um, very often. And I understand it sort of colors the the world of these men who are racist and are doing terrible things. You know, good people uh, do bad things in in wartime, and and these were very uh, racially insensitive Americans going to another country and and doing terrible things without the knowledge of it. And I, I think it 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 helps tell the story uh, very well, and it, it helps Oliver Stone's message get across. But I, I, it definitely stood out for me by the end, uh, the racism. Yeah, I, I thought that it was overused to the point where it just ceased to have any sort of meeting, meaning. And uh, 
I feel like that's that sort of represents how I feel about this film in general. I think that all the things, all the vehicles that Oliver Stone uses are so heavy-handed that they lose the the point a bit. It's all a bit overdramatic. It's all a bit um, excessive, and it feels like he was trying to make a very clear point, but. Uh, I didn't care as much because he didn't spend the time to make the characters feel like, and they did. He he spent too much time focusing on too many characters and not enough on the small, uh, like a small group of characters that like the three main characters. And I thought uh, this movie might have had a um, a bigger impact and and might have I might have gotten emotionally invested in the characters if it was about a a small group of like four or five men uh, trying to stay alive on like one mission. And I had a little bit better of an understanding about what they were doing and, and what was happening, but it seemed like events just happened towards our, our group of characters, our cast of characters. And there were so many of them that when they started dying, I didn't really uh, emotionally connect to a lot of them. So I didn't really care. Uh, they were just bodies. They were just a, a head count by the end of it. And when, you know, the only character who I was uh, upset when they died was Willem Dafoe, but he also got this very, um, very big, elaborate, almost like a meme at this point, uh, like riddling his body getting riddled with bullets <laughs> in this sort of Jesus pose as he falls down. Uh, that was incredibly heavy handed. Uh, and it, it probably to be parodied for good reason. Uh, I understand that this movie is a very... Uh, a very blue, a very Democrat uh, uh, idea of the the war, of Vietnam War in general. Uh, and Deer Hunter uh, at the time was seen as the opposite. But overall, I thought this film didn't really, it didn't really sell its message as strongly as I think it could have. I have to agree. I didn't think that it was, it wanted to provide a very humanist point of view, but it didn't make humans out of its characters. No, um, but I do think I do think it's a, a great movie. I I understand why it won Best Picture. Uh, I think I think it's a, a fascinating film to see if you haven't seen it yourself. If you're interested in uh, in the Vietnam War or you know war movies in general, if you haven't seen it, it is fantastic. Uh, and there are fantastic performances. They get a lot of things right in the film. Uh, but you know. Did I did I enjoy it more than uh, other Vietnam movies I've seen? We'll see. So uh, the the second movie we saw was The Deer Hunter. I also hadn't seen this film either. Nor I. And uh, this movie stars uh, Robert De Niro as as the lead. Also Meryl Streep, who you you had a bit of uh, trivia about that, didn't you? Yeah. So uh, Meryl Streep had made her film debut the year before in 1977 and also her television debut in 1977. So uh, this was one of her first films and it was also the first film she was nominated for an Oscar for. Yeah, and she she does a fantastic job. Um, we'll get into the, the plot of The Deer Hunter in just a, a, f- a few minutes, but she does a fantastic job in her role and really shows... Uh, this movie's about, you know, people going off to war, but she really shows the the pain of being the woman left behind. And, and I think a very sensitive role that she brings a lot of uh, emotional uh, and intellectual uh, gravitas to. She's very good in it. Uh, 
but this film also stars Christopher Walken as a very notable role. Um, John uh, Cazale or Cazale? Cazale? I'm just going to say Cazale. Let's say Cazale. Uh, who we've seen in one movie in this uh, series already. He two, plays... technically. Oh, yeah, two, two. Uh, <laughs> he plays uh, Fredo in Godfather and Godfather 2. Uh, he, he was great in those films. Uh, this this movie, uh, he plays uh, a friend of, of Robert De Niro and Christopher Walken and uh, apparently was, was riddled with cancer during the filming of it. Yeah, this was his last film. Yeah, and I guess uh, Robert De Niro... Uh, backed him himself and said like, no, we need him in this film and, and put up the money for the insurance himself. And at the time of filming, he was actually dating uh, Meryl Streep. Uh, and he does a fantastic job in the film. And I think he's a, a wonderful actor, but there are a couple scenes where you, you sort of notice maybe he's wearing a wig. Uh, maybe he's going through chemotherapy and, and maybe a little, little sick uh, yeah. towards, yeah. towards the, you know, some, some parts of the filming. And it, it did seem uh, like when I, when I researched it, they filmed a lot of his scenes first because he was so very sick during the filming of this, of this movie. And uh, he, he had been dating Meryl Streep, I think for two years at that point, And uh, she was with him till his death. Yeah. Uh, and he, he does a great job in, in the movie. Um, I'd say Robert De Niro really shines in this. Uh, I, I really enjoy Robert De Niro in, in pretty much any uh, movie I've seen him in. Uh, I think he, he elevates the material uh, substantially. Christopher Walken also does an amazing job in this film. Incredible uh, performance, I think, from both yeah. of them. And, and the two of those leads, plus you have Meryl Streep uh, just giving an, an amazing performance as well. It has a lot of, of great cast members in it. And there's, there's people we aren't mentioning either who play supporting or tertiary characters, and they're all great too. Uh, this movie has a slower start than Platoon. Uh, it takes place in a, in a sort of like a small town. Steel, steel, work, steel mining town, yeah. Steel mining town. Or steel refinery, I'm not sure which. And it starts uh, with, with all these the men who we, we've just mentioned you know, getting out of work, and it seems like a very dangerous job. Uh, a lot of them are, are Russian immigrants. And... They they're they're living in this town with this uh, the mountain range behind them and it's very overcast and I I love the the cinematography of this town that they lived in the the sort of picturesque but sort of this hidden and an eerie uh, place that was also very small and closed off from the rest of the world. Well, it was interesting. I was reading a little bit earlier about how they had considered shooting some of the town stuff um, on a stage somewhere. And they decided that they didn't want to do that. They wanted to film on location because it felt more uh, tangible and more uh, close to reality. And there's a lot of long shots in this in this location. When when the men are getting off of work, the you see them coming out like chatting with each other, being all buddy buddy. And then you see everybody from the refinery come out behind them in this huge wide shot with you know maybe fifty extras. And then you know it pans out more, and you can see the hillside and and this little town like tucked away in inside of it and it, it's a very it's a very cool unique setting and i i really got the impression that they were trying to show what a small town in middle america looked like during this time period i thought it set the scene very very well and 
and we watch these characters as they're approaching a, a wedding of one of their friends. Yes, and this wedding, I want to say, takes about 50 minutes. Uh, it is my uh, biggest criticism of the film entirely is the how, the length of their the wedding, um, the whole wedding sequence. You basically... It's a very similar sequence to the opening scenes of The Godfather, where you're setting all these characters in this very, very um, sort of unique family wedding uh, scenario, where in Godfather it's Italian, in this it's sort of Russian Orthodox. I see what you mean about not liking the wedding sequence of this as much as The Godfather, because The Godfather, the movie begins and we're inside the wedding. Yes. We have the sort of atmosphere of this this Italian wedding, and it, it starts very small. We're inside of the, the Godfather's uh, office. He's talking with a man. We understand who he is, and then we pan out, and there's this very elaborate wedding for, for Connie. With this, it's, it's very melodic. We, we see these men at work. We see them leaving work. We see them getting a beer. We see a woman saying, why are you getting so drunk before your wedding? You need to you need to come come over here and get fitted for your suit, and and we sort of are slowly moving towards this event. Uh, whereas the Godfather, we're we're meeting the characters in the middle of action. We're we're in the wedding; it's happening, and then we get these little pocket windows of like, oh, here's Michael over here, and and here's Sonny. Like here's all these characters and how they're interacting in this this one setting. Where this it. It seems like by the time the wedding starts, it's maybe 20 minutes after the movie begins. Mm-hmm. We've met all the characters. We sort of know their relationships. But then during the wedding, the only sort of drama we get is uh, uh, Meryl Streep is um, is engaged, I believe. Uh, engaged or just dating Christopher dating. Walken's Christopher Walken. character. And, and we get the impression that Robert De Niro has feelings for Meryl Streep, Meryl Streep's character. And uh, he gets he gets drunk and sort of uh, acts on those feelings when he probably shouldn't. And uh, and Christopher Walken is just sort of lets it happen. He's enjoying the the party. And he boy, I mean Christopher Walken's an amazing dancer, but boy does he have a wonderful dancing seat sequence in the beginning of this, where he sort of does a Russian dance where he he drops down to his ankles and then pops a leg out. And he he flies in that dancing scene. It's pretty impressive. Him and Meryl Streep have a have a moment where they just sort of like zip around the dance floor. I mean, like having seen him in that now, I'm like, oh, I get why he was cast in ha- Hairspray. I get it now. He, he's phenomenal. And uh, so Robert De Niro gets a little bit drunk, and that's the bit of the only bit of like drama we get uh, in the film. And uh, up and to that point. Up to that point. Uh, no, plenty plenty of drama uh, to come. <laughs> Mao, uh, I'll say ahead of time, but. Uh, they also. You said Mao. Oh yeah, you slapped me. Okay. <laughs> we'll get to that. I'm well, sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, it, uh, yeah. <clears throat> Irrelevant at the moment. Uh, but slap. Uh, so the other bit of drama that happens is they see a green beret who comes into the bar of the. Uh, wedding venue. Yeah, the wedding venue. Sits down and he's like, "Yeah, get this guy a drink. We're going to Vietnam too." And and the the green beret is just sort of like I I think I can't remember exactly the words he uses, but I think he says "fuck it" or "fuck them." Yeah, it's it's like "fuck fuck it" or "fuck it all" or "fuck them." 
Uh, and and Robert De Niro is just like, fuck, fuck who? Fuck what? Wait, wait a minute. Because before that, Robert De Niro was like, buy this guy a drink. Get him a drink. What do you got to say about the war over there? And he's like, fuck him. Fuck it. And De Niro's just like, fuck it? Fuck who? Who are we fucking? Sir, tell me. Who are we fucking? Please tell me it's Meryl Streep. Please tell me it's Meryl Streep. <laughs> so bad. And then, and then yeah, uh, after that little bit, he sort of laughs it off. And he's like, yeah, fuck it. Fuck him. Fuck it. Uh, and, and then it, that wedding ends with Robert De Niro streaking. Yeah. He, he rips off through the town, all of his clothes streaks through the town. And, um, and I think that is the point where I'm like, well, this is, it's just a very interesting, complex character we have here. Yeah. And so, uh, after that, basically all the groomsmen, um, except of course for the groom himself, who's off on his wedding night, uh, Robert De Niro and Christopher Walken and John Cazale all go uh, basically drive up to the mountains to go on a deer hunt before uh, all the the three friends go to the war. And uh, and it's a very uh, it, it's been the night right after this. So John Cazale uh, uh, is is very drunk or hungover, and De Niro is pissed that he he never brings his boots, he never brings any gear, he's very unprepared. And everyone just sort of takes care of him. And he's, he's very pissed off about that. And uh, De Niro fires a gun into the air to sort of like uh, rile him up a little bit. Because he's, he's very pissed off that he's not taking this hunt seriously. And again, we get another location. I think they're parked at the uh, at where they're going to do the, the hunt. And again, we get another picturesque view. Uh, cinematography astounding again. I, I, I was a little bit happier when we got to the deer hunt because I was like, oh, we're finally... We're doing something now. I was getting a little bit concerned, though, because I was like, when I thought this movie was about Vietnam. When are we going to Vietnam? I, I think while we were watching it, I, I had a thought that was, wait a minute, does this movie even take place in Vietnam? Is it just about people leaving for Vietnam and, and we aren't going to actually go there? I knew there was like a a scene from it where there was a Russian roulette, which factors very heavily into the plot going forward. But I didn't know where it took place. So I thought this film was going to take place before Vietnam and after, and then we were just going to skip the middle part. And uh, that would be up to your imagination. But after that deer hunt, we're pretty much dropped right into Vietnam. In the middle of it, just in the thick of it. There's no leading up. It's not like the guys land the same way that Charlie Sheen does in Platoon. Uh, you're just, that they're already there. Robert De Niro has been there for who knows how long. Because it's a smash cut to there's bodies everywhere and De Niro is crawling out of them. And uh, he sees some of the 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 rebels. Um, there's got to be a better word for that. Uh, I, I feel like I'm talking about Star Wars right now. <laughs> so the rebels... Uh, he he gets up and he gets a flamethrower and he just roasts a guy in the middle of this field and then they burn this village and then it smash cuts to them uh, as POWs, prisoners of war, and they're in this weird wooden hut that they're like half submerged in a, in a lake uh, and above them are a bunch of Vietnamese men playing Russian roulette with the POW captives. So they... They'll bring a, a POW up the stairs and they'll basically force them to play a game of Russian roulette. And if by chance they win, they put them back down. But they basically just keep doing this over and over again until all of them are dead. 
and they're betting uh, on who is going to win uh, yeah. during this whole whole thing. So they're they're pitting uh, two POWs against each other and and sort of like trying to figure out like like who they're going to bet on and who's won prior. So there's this whole like gambling element that's happening. And at this point onward, the movie pretty much just becomes the Russian roulette movie. <laughs> well, I mean, there's a good chunk after that. That yeah, I mean, there's there's an escape. There, there's an Russian escape. roulette. But but if you were going to uh, say somebody like, oh, have you seen the Deer Hunter? That's the Russian roulette movie, isn't it? You'd probably yeah yeah that's the one. Whereas Platoon, I'd be like Platoon. That's the Willem Dafoe get shot in the back movie, right? Yeah, that's the one. But uh, but yeah, there's a lot of Russian roulette in this. Uh, it finally escalates to uh, one of their friends, uh, John Savage, the guy who was just married. Mm-hmm. Uh, he gets pulled up there. He loses, but the gun sort of he just he, sort of skims the top of his head. Yeah, it grazes and he and he gets maimed. And they they uh, take him and they put him out in another pen where there's rats in in the water. And we we looked at a bit of trivia about this movie. Apparently, there's a the actor yelled, "There's rats in here! There's rats in the water with me!" And they had the cameras rolling, and they just kept it in the film. Yeah, it, they were actual rats. It wasn't a line. There were real rats in the water. I think they shot it in what Thailand? Yeah, and the actor was just like, "You got to get me out of here! There's rats in here!" And I was like, "We'll just leave that in." So uh, that then then pretty much there's only. Three people left in the pens below where they're playing Russian roulette. And De Niro gets the idea, we have to play each other to Christopher Walken. The two of us have to play, and we're going to ask for them to put more bullets in the gun. And, and this, this was a, a very tense scene for me. Like, I didn't get this tense watching any of Platoon. Mm-mm. But this scene where they, they say, we're going to tell them to put three bullets in the gun. I think I couldn't watch this point. I was like... Doing this because I, I couldn't and, handle uh, it. So they're going to put three bullets in the gun. Oh, we should explain the reason I slapped you earlier. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Mao uh, is is what they yell uh, right before they're supposed to, like, pull the trigger. And and if you don't pull the trigger, slap they slap you. you. Yeah. yeah. And uh, apparently the actor who they, they had cast as the, the man who yells Mao knew who Robert De Niro was. He was like, no, that's Robert De Niro. Well, in the scene, you have to slap him. No, I can't slap him. That's Robert De Niro. I saw The Godfather, too. Uh, I, I'm not going to do that to young Vito Corleone. So then they, they were like, well, fuck, we, our actor won't, won't slap De Niro. We need to find somebody who, who will. So they found the most racist person they could in Thailand who hated Americans and cast him instead. We're like, no, this guy's totally going to fucking slap De Niro. Meet the Fockers? Yes. You're going to slap Meet the Fockers right across the lips. Uh, so <laughs> so they, they got this guy. Uh, he's yelling Mao. He's slapping them both. And De Niro wanted to be really slapped, too. He didn't. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, 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 a, he's an actor's actor. So he wants to get slapped across the face real, real hard. Uh, so the, the plan is we're going to load the, the gun with three bullets. We're going to click it. And just sort of take the chance that that we the the gun has uh, three six chambers three bullets we can make it so that uh, we will take the odds that it won't kill us if we do Russian roulette for the first three, and then they sort of take that 50-50 shot, and then once once they get to the the fourth bullet 
they turn it on the cap the captors and kill them all. Uh, I believe one of them gets slightly wounded. I think um, Walken gets wounded. Yeah, I think I can't remember where, but yeah, he gets hit somewhere. He gets hit. They kill their their captors. Uh, get get John Savage out of the the cage, and then they get on a log and they they push themselves off down the river in another very um, tense, uh, scene. tense scene that was kind of reminiscent of a scene with uh, Burt Reynolds in um, Deliverance to me. Uh, it, it reminded me of a, a scene in Deliverance when Burt Reynolds is kind of floating down, like making sure that the uh, the hillbillies aren't uh, aren't looking for him. But uh, but they get to a bridge, they climb up, they see helicopters, they're about to get rescued. Walken gets on the helicopter, but uh, John Savage and uh, Robert De Niro uh, fall off, or Savage falls into the water and De Niro jumps after him. Yeah, I think that well. What I understood from the film was that John Savage's character, presumably from the gunshot, got a horrible concussion. And then when they when he falls from the uh, helicopter, breaks his leg, mm. or both of them. Um, and so at that point, he can't take care of himself at all. He's out. And, uh, and De Niro jumps in after him and, and then takes care of him uh, right after. But uh, another bit of trivia is that, that scene with the helicopter, uh, De Niro uh, was climbing on and the helicopter was getting too close to the actors. And you see a, a bit of struggle between the people in the helicopter and De Niro and John Savage. And it's because the blades of the helicopter were getting dangerously close to them. And, and they kept it in the movie as well that this, this helicopter might have uh, seriously injured De Niro and John Savage. So they, they just pulled up and, and, and took off from there. And that, that made it into the film. So it then uh, we see Christopher Walken in a... Um, Saigon. Yeah, in Saigon. He, yeah, and, and he sort of goes on a journey from there. Yeah, he, uh, he wanders around and goes to get some drinks and... and finds a prostitute that he can't really bring himself to actually uh, have sex with. Yeah, he's just like, all right, we'll go. Yeah, he just sort of meanders like, oh, yeah, I'll get a drink. Oh, a prostitute. Yeah, I'll do that. Goes upstairs. She has a kid. No, no, I'm not. No, I'm not going to do this in front of your kid. No. But while they're, while he's in Saigon, he wanders off and finds a game of Russian roulette. And he's like, oh, I know how to play this game. Well, he walks in, and lo and behold, who should be there but Robert De Niro. Uh, Robert De Niro, after basically rescuing his friend, made it back to what I can only assume was a U.S. military camp and dropped off his friend. We never, we don't see uh, John Savage for very long, uh, or again for a long time after that. Yeah, it isn't until they get back to America. But, uh, and then, of course, we don't see Robert De Niro for a while. We just sort of follow... Uh, Christopher Walken and he goes to this Russian roulette thing and Robert De Niro is there playing the game or I I should say betting he runs after Christopher Walken but can't find him after that and so he goes home because he no longer has to uh he's he's on leave he can he can go home um and presumably Christopher Walken can as well but he doesn't and Christopher Walken stays uh De Niro leaves and during the um, a lot of these moments, there's a lot of shots that look like they're taken directly from newsreels, like actual footage of 
of Saigon, um, you know, during and after the Vietnam War. So you'll sort of get like a wide shot of helicopters and, and the city, and then it'll cut to s- something that looks very much like like news footage mm-hmm. of the area. Uh, De Niro ends up going back and has a very hard time uh, re reconnecting with with society again after all of this. Like he's he's almost died numerous times. He's had a gun to his temple um, and and bet with his own life and has made it back. And they're they're gonna throw a party for him and Meryl Streep's there to to throw it and and he decides he's just gonna stay in a hotel that night. Mm-hmm. So he says he sees them throwing the party, he sort of sneaks around and goes, I I don't want anything to do with this, stays in a hotel and then sneaks to his house the next day when Meryl Streep is just, you know, cleaning up and, uh, and talks with her. But, but we see this man who has a very hard time re re acclimating to society after war, mm-hmm. which really becomes, um, the strong, a, a very strong message for the film in general. Yeah. yeah. And it's, uh, not just his journey, but all the other characters journey as well. Cause you get to see Meryl Streep adjusting to the fact that her uh, boyfriend, fiance, whatever he was, Christopher Walken has chosen not to come back. Um, and she sort of goes through the, through the grief of uh, being left behind. And then uh, when John Savage's character reappears, it's through this sort of convoluted series of like information. Basically, Meryl Streep, I, or I can't remember what character finds out, but the um, John Savage's wife that he gets married to at the beginning of the film uh, is distraught and um, he, she won't say where John Savage is or what has happened to him. And De Niro's like, I want to see him. I want to talk to them. I want to talk to him. And uh, he ends up finding him at a um, VA hospital. VA hospital. He has lost both of his legs. and he, One of his arms as well. And he doesn't want anything to do with coming back. He doesn't want to go home. Um, he doesn't want to care for his child um, or his wife. Uh, he seems mentally, uh, as far as, you know, he didn't have any lasting concussion damage. But um, besides like the, the drugs they're giving him at the hospital, he, he seems pretty alert, pretty, pretty much all the way there. Yeah. But of course, he's missing most of his limbs at this point and is, is uh, confined to a motorized wheelchair. Um, and he really struggles with the concept of, of returning to the, to what was his old life, probably, um, because he's, he's not the person that he used to be. And, and through all of this, De Niro comes off as, as a solitary man. He has a hard time, I think, connecting with people. Well, and it's such, it's a, it's a stark contrast to who, Robert De Niro's character is at the beginning of the film because at the beginning of the film we see him like speeding his car next to a truck and almost like skimming the edges and it's really he's like on the edge of life and he's um getting really drunk and sort of belligerent at the wedding he um but that's that's the actions of a person who is um who feels like they're alone or or well I mean he he is is a sort of a frat boy with his friends at the beginning of the film. And at the end, but and he, it sort of circles back to uh, that first scene on the deer hunt where 
he's upset with John Cazale because he can't take care of himself. But what he learns while he's in Vietnam is that he is responsible for taking care of the people around him. And the person that he becomes after he returns from Vietnam, even though it's hard for him, is ultimately a better person because he's caring for his friends, he's caring for uh, Meryl Streep's character, and uh, he becomes kinder and softer as a result. And he promises to bring back um, Christopher Walken. He, he promises uh, that he's going to bring him home before the, the war even happens. Yes. I believe it's when, after the streaking incident, uh, he sits down butt-ass naked on a, a basketball court, and Walken sits down next to him, and, um, and he says, like, I want to die here. Uh, Walken says, I want to die here. Will you promise me that, like, whatever happens, we'll come back. And De Niro makes that promise. Uh, and when, when Walken doesn't come back, and Meryl Streep is obviously distraught, uh, De Niro, in the final moments of the movie, decides, well, I'm going to go get him. And Saigon is fallen, or falling, uh, in, the middle, in the midst of falling, well, and, and um, he only finds out where he is because uh, Christopher Walken has been sending money to John Savage's family and, char- and, and the character. And basically, is, that's how he finds out, oh, he's still in Saigon. Uh, he's probably still with this death cult. Yeah, and apparently he's making a shit ton of money doing it um, and sending a lot of money to the VA hospital. So De Niro goes, well, I'm going to go get him. So he, he goes on this journey. He finds the, the, uh, the weird French guy who's like, well, you got to give me some money and I can get you in to, to see him. He does it very reluctantly. And now we see this city, you know, in, in rubble. People are, are trying to hang on to the side of helicopters to get out of there. There's fires everywhere. They end up having to get on a ferry and go across um, sort of a, a river through the town while, while everything's burning behind them. And, he, and in the midst of all of this chaos, he finds this building which is a bunch of guys, you know, betting on blowing people's he- like heads off, uh, which I, I thought was very interesting. Like, even if Saigon is falling, there's this hut of men who are still betting on each other's lives. And he, he finds the American, Christopher Walken there. And Christopher Walken looks very dazed, uh, we see his arm at one point, and he's got track marks on his arm mm-hmm. as he's, he's been fed or been taking heroin uh, since he's been there. And and Robert De Niro says, I want to challenge the American. I want to I put up as much money as possible. I don't want to challenge this guy because I want to bring him home. Mm-hmm. And what transpires is a very dramatic, poignant, emotional scene between two of uh, some of the best actors of uh, their generation. Yeah, it's uh, basically while Robert De Niro is sitting across the table from Christopher Walken, he's begging Christopher Walken to stop all of this and come home with him. Basically, just walk away. Put the gun down, just walk away. You don't have to do this. I'll take you home. We can go back to Meryl Streep. We can go back to all our friends. And there's a line... um, during the deer hunt where they say, you know, when you, when you kill a deer, you have to kill it with one shot. You can't let the deer suffer. And in that moment, he says, remember, you know, like back at home, the deer hunt and everything. And Christopher Walken says one shot. 
and he sort of has a moment where he he breaks from this drug laden um, uh, like fog that he's in, and you sort of see it on his face that he 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 understands who Robert De Niro is. Uh, he understands the situation, but in that moment, I mean, they, they go back and forth. Walken, you know, sh- uh, shoots himself blank. De Niro gets the gun to his temple and says, "Hey, I love you. If if this is the last moment, I just want you to know that I came back for you. I love you." Clicks it, doesn't die, and then Walken gets the gun, and it's almost in that moment both men are just like, "Well, if you if you pull the trigger, you're gone, man." And it's it's a very um, it's a very well crafted scene. Uh, Walken pulls the trigger, one shot. I think he says right before he pulls the trigger, and he he dies right there. And uh, De Niro brings his body back home. Uh, they have a funeral for him, and everyone's there. John Savage is in the wheelchair. Uh, Meryl Streep. Uh, everyone's at the funeral, and uh, and they all sort of go to the bar from the very beginning of the film. Uh, and and one of their friends uh, makes makes eggs for everybody. And he goes into the kitchen uh, after Walken's funeral to make uh, eggs for everybody and just breaks down in the kitchen. There's a lot of these like quiet moments in this film which are very, uh, very moving even to this day. And I think that has something to do with the filmmaking of the time uh, and, and really the, the way they let moments breathe in movies from the 70s. Uh, in stark contrast to Platoon, which I think it, everything sort of beats you over the head. I would compare the uh, these two films uh, very much so to like Alien and Aliens, or I would say the Deer Hunter is is more akin to Alien. It's a lot of a lot of quiet moments where you're able to fill in the blanks, and Platoon more Aliens, where it's it's everything's big and brash, and you know exactly what's happening, and it's really fun. Platoon Platoon was really fun. Uh, but still it was like big, uh, big set pieces that, that really, uh, didn't leave anything to the imagination. But this film ends with, I think they say, what is it? What's the song they sing? Uh, is it God bless America? Yeah. And, and they, they have the eggs, they, they bring all the plates out and everyone's sitting there and they start singing God bless America to each other. And, at the time, I guess this movie was considered a very Republican, a very conservative film, very much like a, uh, oh, you know, America is is doing the right thing by going over there sort of sort of movie. But in that moment, I didn't get that, and I, I sort of got it. It was a bit of, of satire, actually. I I felt that it was a a criticism of of the war in that it you could see how clearly the Vietnam War in particular absolutely destroyed the people that it was trying to protect. And I, I thought personally that it didn't read as being at all supportive of the Vietnam war, but I mean, maybe that was the way it was portrayed at the time, but watching it now, it feels like a much more human view of how, um, how bad it was for Americans in general. I mean, not to not to say like uh, that the focus of of the atrocities of the Vietnam War shouldn't also be focused on the uh, the Vietnamese people, uh, but I think that it does a great job of showing how ruthless the 
the Vietnam War was to its own soldiers. Yeah, it's a it's a much more quiet film than than Platoon. And in that last moment, I was I was still left with a man. This like war is is terrible, and these people are changed dramatically for the rest of their lives by it. And although this film was just about the plight of a bunch of white people, um, I think I think it showed what what real inner struggle and real damage it does to a human. Uh, that that's different than getting your arm or leg blown off. There is a emotional impact to to these wars that has changed these people's lives forever. And this movie shows a female's uh, reaction to that and a male's reaction to that I, in equal parts. I would say. I wouldn't agree with that. I I mean I think that Meryl Streep does a great job and a, a couple of the other female characters as well. But it definitely is, is more focused in the actual soldiers that are there. Well, I mean, the, the main cast of characters is three men. Um, yeah. But I, I don't know if I've seen another film from this time period that showed uh, the, the woman's uh, plight uh, during, during this time period. Yeah. I, I don't, yeah. There, I'm sure if something out there exists, uh, we might see something on our, um, on our series here. But from what I've seen so far... This movie does a good job at 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 least acknowledging that it's not just a, a story about men and, and their their pain and their emotions coming back. That it did affect the people that they left behind. And Meryl Streep, I think, portrays that very very well. Mm-hmm. Any other uh, actor, um, I might have not been that impactful, but she brought something very big to the role, um, and and I loved it. Uh, so yeah, uh, do you have anything left to say about the deer hunter? Uh, just that I think it was a beautifully crafted film, uh, as far as I think the story was beautifully done. Um, the direction was in, like the cinematography was stunning and, um, the acting was impeccable. I, all the entire cast was incredible. Yeah, I, uh, I, I really enjoyed it. It was the first movie in this series that we've watched that actually uh, moved me at times uh, in ways I didn't expect. I, I, I'll have to give it uh, major props for that. I don't know. I, I, the movie we watched so far that I would compare it to um, The Deer Hunter would be The Godfather. Um, yeah, that, that's like the, the only movie that I think comes even close to it. Um, but yeah, uh, so now I believe... Now we have to pick which one will not go to the next round. So, uh, Sarah, between uh, 1986's Platoon and 1978's The Deer Hunter, which movie do you think deserves to go into the next round and which movie will we not probably watch ever again? (laughs) Uh, I I think this will will shock because we looked at a lot of different lists of of sort of the top 100 or, or the the best picture winners ranked um when we started this the idea for this podcast and platoon was up there pretty high it was up there very very high and in, in fact godfather 2 ranks higher than godfather in a lot of these lists too uh broadway melody very low on the list <laughs> very low uh but platoon ranked very very high um so, so did so did Deer Hunter actually. Deer Hunter was always up there, sometimes higher than others. But uh, I think that 
my overall feeling was that despite the slow start, Deer Hunter was a superior film. Yeah, um, I I am going to have to agree with you. Uh, I think Deer Hunter is the superior film. Um, I think I think I I liked Platoon, but about an hour into it, I was I was like, we watched Deer Hunter. I was I was invested in Deer Hunter, even though it was a slower movie. And by the end of Deer Hunter, I felt that the movie had accomplished its message, that it had it had set out to tell a story, it had accomplished it, and it had changed. Uh, it had it had changed and moved me by the end of it. I really enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed it more than any other film we watched on this series so far. Uh, we'll see if it stands up to uh, other movies going forward. But I I think. The Deer Hunter, I would most closely relate to The Godfather uh, or most closely compare it to The Godfather. And if I had to put The Godfather against The Deer Hunter, that would be a... Spoilers. Spo- spoilers. <laughs> uh, that, I mean, that might be a, a, an episode we have coming, coming soon because I think those two movies, it would, that would be a really tough choice for me. And we'll watch all the films again in the second round. But I think the Deer Hunter versus the Godfather would be a great second round uh, episode. All right. So uh, it's official. The Deer Hunter moves on to the next round. So, Sarah, what are we going to watch next week? We're going to watch Annie Hall and You Can't Take It With You from 1938. I haven't seen either of those films. Uh, Nor I. I've heard great things about Annie Hall. Uh, I've seen stage productions of You Can't Take It With You. Oh, so that'll be very fun. So uh, feel free to watch along with us, uh, rent Annie Hall, and, and you can't take it with you, so you can cast your vote along with us, and we won't be able to hear it. But please, voice it in the comments section below or next to the video, wherever it is on iTunes. Voice, voice your opinions, please. And uh, can't wait to, to see you guys next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.